Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as usual I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hello Park. another bumper weekend of rugby with the Six Nations and the Pro 14, more importantly, playing out some of those weird kind of fixtures where there's loads of players you haven't heard of, but you know what, still good stuff. Yes, the Pro 14 was on this weekend and threw up some really interesting results. Before we move on, we are looking for an Ulster fan to kind of join our ranks. We have me, the Connells fan, Oshin the Munster fan, Andrew's been on once as our Leinster fan, and Joe Shep when he was here, of course. We are light, though, in terms of our northern province, and before Brexit, presumably shaved most of Ulster off into another island. It'd be really good if we can connect one. We're hoping to do a kind of a Irish provinces roundtable episode at some point in the future. So if you are a second row listener and an Ulster fan, get in touch with us on Twitter, where we're at the second row, on Instagram, or hit us up on Facebook. That is 2ND, not the word second, as we say every, every week. week. <laughs> so this week we are talking about round 16. But before we do, as always, a quick look at the news from the rugby world. And there was Six Nations rugby this weekend again, and the top of the championship table is getting pretty close. Yeah, a Wales victory puts them on course for a grand slam. They're sitting on top with 12 points. It's amazing what happens when you play against England with a fullback. Yeah, turns out that kicking can be diffused by players who know how to defuse kicks. Madness. Shame France and Ireland hadn't thought of that. True. Speaking of Ireland, we are on nine points, one point behind England on ten. But it looks like the English have the easiest run in for the final. A game against Scotland and Italy. And Scotland with all their injury worries. Like, France really caught them on the hop. When you're missing 20 players from an international setup, you know things are rough. It doesn't help that Bastro apparently turned into a rugby player overnight as well. Yeah, but like that's his one game a year. <laughs> Pretty much. Ireland then ran out what in the end was a relatively comfortable victory against Italy, but much less convincing than we would have wanted. Yeah, like I think a lot of our troubles stemmed at halfback. And I know they're letting Sexton and Murray find form playing matches. But you know what? There's provincial rugby for that. Let's have a few form players who are playing at the top their game at least controlling games and actually putting tempo into the game that would be nice but speaking of top players the european player of the year nominations were announced and it's nice to see our top quality league highly represented eight players from the pro 14 three from munster three from leinster along with one from edinburgh and one from ulster and eight irish nominees seven from the pro 14 and then simon zebo on top but scotland represented as well from france with Fran russell and obviously Bill Matta playing his rugby in Edinburgh. Strange though, only one French player in the nominations out of the 15 players. Dupont for Toulouse, who's having a great season and looked really good for France at the weekend. He pulled the strings incredibly well for France. He's a top quality player. Not surprised there whatsoever. The one surprise was, no nomination for Owen Farrell, who's been pretty consistent in his club form this year. His teammate Maku Vinopola does get a nomination. As does Alex Goode, actually. Maybe there's only room for two tens, and Carby and Russell had those spots sewn up. <laughs> Maybe. Cheslin Colby does make the list, though. He's been electric in his club form this year, so nice to see him recognised and kind of flying the flag for South Africa. And speaking of South Africa, they've made a huge change in how they're selecting players going forward. Yeah, it looks like they're changing up their eligibility criteria, dropping the rule whereby having 30 caps is enough to get you selected regardless of where you're playing your rugby. This is part of a big effort by Razi Erasmus to stop players leaving South African setups. Again, similar to what he saw when he was coaching with Munster in Ireland. He knows that if you're playing within your country's teams, you have a lot more control over the type of rugby those players are playing and also your ability to manage their game time. He really wants to make some changes here and he's probably going to have to put his hand in his pocket to do that. They've said that the SARU are going to top up player contracts, so that's going to be very much like an Irish model mixed with a Welsh model in financially anyway. 
well, the old Welsh model. Definitely. And you know what? It's going to cost the money to keep these players. And there are still some who will go to France. But you'd like to think they'll be less attractive, given that they're going to be strictly enforced that they can't play during the test windows. So maybe we'll see a more level playing field. Here's hoping, because like, there's so much talent in South Africa. I'd like to see them a force after the World Cup. Speaking of the one South African who was in the news this week for a less uh, auspicious reason... Nico Lee of the Cheetahs has been handed a 13-week ban reduced from 26 for... Snotgate. Yeah, like a stunt I've only ever seen in Irish primary schools, like where he blew snot into the face of Kobe Fyinga as he lay at the bottom of a rock. This is the nastiest story I've seen in a while. It was disgusting. I had a video up on the second row of Twitter about Ugh. it. It was just gross. And like, not dangerous, not violent, but just rotten. That said, punishments really do need to be looked at if a stamp is only six weeks and something like this is 13. I think this is one of these things that a stamp can be careless, but if it's malicious, it should be treated harshly. Whereas this is just, there's no reason to ever have this in a rugby pitch. This is like a straight up red card offence on a par with something like gouging and spitting. It's just not something we want to see in the game. No, and Nigel Owens, if he caught that, your man was definitely going to be sent off. And more important, he would have got a talking to about (laughs) rugby values, which nobody wants. (laughs) No, his highlight reel is full enough as it is. It is. Speaking of Connacht, who were obviously the unfortunate recipients of that, they were the unfortunate recipients of something else on Friday night, a 43-17 battering from Glasgow. It was so bad. Like it was literally terrible. And the full game is actually and the full game can be summed up in the very first minute. Yeah, you're not off to the best of starts here. No. Glasgow get possession, maul from their twenty two into our own half, spread the ball wide and score a try. Literally I'm s i am was speechless watching it. Utterly speechless. There's this new thing that teams are doing these days called tackling. Any uh, any chance you wanted to try that? No. Those four missed tackles in the lead up to that try it was like <sighs> awful. But like Connacht have been having games like this away from home where the pressure is on and it's a must-win match. And this is an unfortunate-looking pattern. Similar to the questions that were being asked at the start of the season about Munster's away form, you have to start pointing fingers here. Oh, definitely. I actually think our away form is much worse than Munster's was. This poor performance was on top of a poor away loss to Cardiff and the poor away loss to Ospreys. Two teams we should have beaten in, in those games. But more importantly, Porik, that's your two main rivals for that third place spot in the conference. And you need to be doing more than picking up losing bonus points on the road. You're going to have visits from those teams to the sports ground and the performance levels. If they're like they were in Scottsdale on Friday night, you haven't got a hope. No, we don't. And we were missing five players to international duty. That doesn't excuse the other 10 people not being good. It also doesn't happen a lot. That's a nice (laughs) sentence as a comic fan to be able to say. It is, but it was really like, you know, poor timing. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I mean, you look at how Connacht have won games this year and Jack Carty has been central to everything that was there. And what was he doing? Warming a bench in Rome for 78 minutes would have been a lot more use in Scotland. He really would have been more beneficial if he was in Scotland. Like, it's still early in Kieran Fitzgerald's career. He'll learn some harsh lessons from this game. But what was shocking is we had no 10 cover on the bench. I think that was a case of Godwin is capable of covering 10. Rob is just about capable of covering 10. But you don't have a whole lot of depth in that position at the moment. No, because, you know, over summer we got four 12s and no 10s. Yay. Would you like a spare from Munster? (laughs) You've given one to London Irish already and he's got injured. So, you know. Good start for him. Yeah. Kind of a nightmare. Well, you know what, though? Connacht's 
set piece in the first half at least was a little bit stronger. Like your scrum was holding up really well, even if your maul was getting pretty badly beaten up. One of Glasgow's tries came from a maul. They just waltzed over the try line. What was good to see from more of a rugby perspective is James Cannon getting a yellow for coming in from the side, even though a try was scored. So many times, refs will just kind of go, ah, seven points is enough and move on. White House was like, no, for the last couple of minutes, you've been acting the maggot. Here's yellow card. Yeah, it doesn't excuse the offence that was there in the build-up to the try. Go back and penalise it anyway. I think for Glasgow, George Horn had a really good game. Like He's been stepping up as a player for me all year and probably outshines Ali Price at this stage. I think he'll be getting a lot of international honours before too long. He really will. It was really easy for him though because Glasgow were winning the contacts all the time. They were just on top physically for the 80 minutes. They were, and you could almost argue they could have won by a greater margin. There were opportunities that went to begging for Glasgow. They were incredibly dominant at the breakdown. They were seemingly able to find breaks in your line whenever they wanted it. So not that you held on for anything, but this could have been even more of a blowout. It really could have been. like They're like sharks when they have a line break. Just four or five players are running through like they've sniffed blood. It's incredible to watch, just frustrating from a Connacht perspective. What was worrying, though, with Glasgow playing so well, we just couldn't lift our intensity, which was really annoying with, like I said, 10 frontline players playing. And we left points on the pitch between conversions not going over and try opportunities not being scored. Godwin with a forward pass and a, a drop on the line as he was going over. It's small things. We weren't going to win the match, but we could have come away with at least one point from this game. So maybe, but... It kind of gets to the stage where when you lose by 20, 25 points, counting those lost opportunities isn't really the way you want to go with this. Well, three lost opportunities is 21 points and you lose by 20. Yeah, even so. <laughs> I, I, think you're, I think you're grasping at straws a little bit here. <laughs> Look, this is, this is a much better picture than the, pres- than the depression I had on Friday night after watching the game. This is true. Well, I wasn't depressed on Friday night. Munster travelled to the Ospreys in search of a win and got it. 19 points to 13 but we'll probably have left feeling a little bit disappointed with the outcome. Really should have got a bonus point from this and should have stopped Ospreys getting a bonus point as well. Yeah, doesn't bother us. <laughs> Bothers me. Yeah. Uh, well, we probably should have stopped Ospreys getting a bonus point. One weird talking point in that game. JJ Hanrahan, when converting the third try, for me, from all the angles it was showing on TV, it was a perfectly good kick, but the flags just didn't go up. That would have given us an eight-point margin. Need some Hawkeye technology in, into rugby straight away. We definitely don't. But look, you know what? Munster came out very strong, and in the opening exchanges, we definitely had the best of the play. It was just a relatively soft bit of tackling, though, that let Darren Sweetnam in over the line after some good carries in close. It was a well-taken try, but like defence was optional, I think, for a lot of these games across the weekend, to be perfectly honest, and it really showed there. You could have scored a few tries in those opening minutes. I think at 10, you weren't getting the right decisions made by J.J. Hanrahan. And if he's trying to stake a claim as the backup 10, that's not really good enough. No, I think our game plan, though, was good and was well executed from 9 and 10. We were quite happy to kick the ball behind the Ospreys, make them turn and just hit grass where possible or have them kick back at us. So we ended up with not a lot of possession in the first half, but a huge amount of territory. The game was played pretty much between the Ospreys 22 and the halfway line. Whereas if you look at how Ospreys kicked the ball, you seem to have an idea of what you're trying to do. Ospreys kicked when they ran out of ideas in general, and it really showed you're getting clean, easy, collectible ball in your backfield. It was like 50 minutes for a good kick by the Ospreys 10. 
which was surprising because he's got a couple of seasons under his belt. He's obviously not a first choice player. That's Sam Davies and prior to that Dan Bigger. But he's been playing with the club for the last three years. And Dan Evans at fullback just had a waking nightmare of a game. He couldn't seem to catch a break. Sometimes you just have those games. But Ospreys did catch a break for their first try between Nash biting in and a kick through not being collected by the four Munster players looking at it. Yeah, Reese Marshall probably the most culpable of those, but it just seemed like they lost their heads and panicked in defence. Ospreys capitalised well, Dirksen got in for the try, and then they got the next score and went 10-7 up. A little bit of like smart home play, keeping the scoreboard ticking over. But you know what? They really messed up for the second try. A penalty try, Byrne going for the posts, and Sam Cross was just camped in front of the post and slaps the ball out of Byrne's hand. It's a penalty try, it's a yellow, all day long. You can argue about it being a silly law, you just have to be aware of it as a defender. This is it. If you're in front of the line and you slap the ball out of somebody's hand when they're going for the base of the post, you're going to get penalised. This felt like the type of game you expect in the middle of the Six Nations. Neither team was playing at 100%. Passes weren't always sticking. It was a bit scrappy. And I think that's where the frontline players who were on the pitch, the likes of Mike Haley and Tyg Byrne, really stood up and just showed their class above the players around them. Well, Tyg Byrne did get man the match and there was good reason for it. He had two incredible interventions early in the second half when Ospreys were actually on the front foot. But Byrne single-handedly stopped them from attacking. His counter-rocking was just absurd. His technique was incredible. In, low and driving straight through. Ben Ryan would be extremely happy with it. (laughs) He was. And he had a few of his trademark steals as well. He was just everywhere. And I love watching him play. I I was a bit disappointed not to see him get his call up. But obviously Henderson was just able to prove that little bit of match fitness last week. Edged him out for the bench spot. But look, himself and the pack worked really hard for Munster's third try. Going through 30 phases from the 22 all the way into the try line to give Haley the easiest opportunity in the world. There was no defenders outside that post. It was amazing. Like, he genuinely had 40 yards of space to run in that try. But that's what happens when you get tired as a defence and you're just trying to stop this onslaught of bodies coming at you. The ruck discipline was so good and the ball retention was just outstanding. Again, weird that the conversion wasn't given. <laughs> it wasn't the only weird moment. Albie getting stung for the application of the law of use it and five seconds. A ball was free for an age and he just stood there looking at it. I'm so happy to see the ref blow it up. I don't think I've seen that law applied. Great to see it actually happening, not just as a means to try and accelerate scrum half play. I, I was also a little bit just confused. We were on the ball in the Ospreys half when the clock ran to 80 and rather than pushing on trying to get that bonus point to keep that gap against Glasgow Albie Matheson just kicked the ball into touch like happy enough no injuries don't concede the loss it lacked a bit of ambition for me I was a little bit disappointed in that for me that's a Six Nations match it's get out of there with your four points you're away from home and to be honest not having to try bonus point wrapped up that's an issue from the yellow card where you scored nothing yeah it should have been tied up by that point of the game already we shouldn't have been chasing it when the clock is already dead that's not the time to be getting that but you know what it was a good win off an okay performance after a pretty poor showing for the second week in the row by the Ospreys yeah it wasn't a great performance again and I think Connacht had them at a good time next week in the sports ground I'm personally hoping for a better performance from Connacht and the same level of performance from Ospreys well speaking of a team that don't seem to have a whole lot of bad performances Leinster hosted the Southern Kings in Dublin and answered your question yes two Irish provinces can put 100 points on the Kings in two weeks. (laughs) 59 points to 19. 
nine try demolition. And this is Leinster using their 54th player this season. This Ke- is the hooker that no one had heard of. Keen Gallagher's younger brother starting at hooker. Oh, God. Maybe that's why Keen Gallagher is abandoning you next year. Look after his little bro. No, nice. Well, look, look, Leinster, as always, are able to carry the ball well. They make yards on it and they hold possession really effectively. I think what surprised me was how much of the ball the Kings had in the first 20 minutes. They controlled the ball for 15 of the first 20 minutes. The first five was Leinster's first try. The next 15 were the Kings' next two. And it was actually smart play, good carries, and genuinely some nice play by the Kings. The problem is, the second Leinster got the ball back, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. we're going to score now. And it just was that easy. Yeah, King's defence really just wasn't able to match the physicality or the pace of that Leinster attack. Leinster seemingly able to get line breaks whenever they wanted, which is just so frustrating because they were playing as well as I've seen them play all season in those 15 minutes. The first half lacked intensity and it just seems that the Kings can't balance the intensity required and good discipline like most teams can. We've seen in the games where they've been effective, they've been right on that line and they definitely are less liable to give away a ton of penalties and cards when they're not pushing that line at the breakdown but the problem is it gives Leinster so much time on the ball and they're not pushing them back in the contact because they're not making those borderline hits or living in rooks illegally yeah or like the plain illegal hits yeah but there's got to be a balance somewhere in the king's team where they can take it down and operate within the boundaries of the laws of the game but still generate enough intensity to be competitive and again when they came out in the second half they kind of got a little bit of intensity back in that obviously got you know a fairly stern talking to at half time and a little bit of set piece work started to create opportunities but again leinster just have gears they can go up to yeah that was a really nice set piece try. Defensively, Leinster were at sea for it. Like in commentary, they said, in broken play, Kings are really dangerous. Offset piece isn't broken play. <laughs> Off first phase isn't broken play. It's the opposite of broken play. <laughs> it was just numbers were wrong. Yeah. Simple as. It was some really good work and Kings went over. But like you said, Leinster went through half a gear, a gear and just blew Kings away. It's back to possession rugby again, though. The Kings couldn't get their hands on the ball for the last 30 minutes of the game. They looked okay when they did have it, but at that point, they're trying to come back into a game with not enough ball to do anything meaningful, and they're forcing it. Whereas Leinster on the ball look calm, look collected, and look composed. Plus, it doesn't help where their defensive shape just goes missing after five phases. Yeah, although weird, Leinster's slow start is kind of back. It just has like a five minute time delay. So they're coming straight out of the gates and then switching off. Like, I really want to see what this Leinster team can do with an 80 minute performance. Although I don't think the Kings do. No, like Leinster could have put a lot more on them. I say the league are happy they didn't. Yeah, more than likely. That points difference is already embarrassing. Speaking of points difference. And speaking of embarrassing, Benetton had the Dragons in Italy this weekend and beat them by an even bigger margin than Leinster managed against the Kings. 57-7. How is this not a headline? People will be waxing lyrical about the Leinster B team putting on nine tries against Kings, but Benetton's B team as well, putting up nine tries and winning by a bigger margin, will barely be talked about. This is a Benetton team that are currently second in their conference, in line for a home quarter final, and playing some of the coolest rugby outside of Dublin 4. This is not a team who can be overlooked this year. And it is astonishing that the prevailing narrative still seems to be about plucky Italians. These guys know what they're doing. 
And like you said, this is a Benetton team without their first or second choice out half this week, putting nearly 60 points on one of the Welsh regions. That said, it was the Dragons and they are the poorest of the Welsh regions. Even if they did come out and try to play some rugby, the first five, six minutes was all Dragons. But they seem to have thought from last week going wide was a good idea, but not learned what they were doing well. They weren't fixing defenders and when they were playing territory, their kicks weren't smart enough. They just seem to shoot themselves in the foot an awful lot more. Even in terms of work rate, what shocked me was there was one try that really stood out where the Benetton player fought to get over the line after the contact and place the ball and the Dragons player had just given up so there was space there. Work rate just wasn't high enough. Concentration wasn't there and they just got beaten around the place. Benetton were guilty of the same thing on 39 minutes when Williams got a try. But let's be perfectly honest, they had the bonus point sewn up at this stage. Well, they were five tries to nil ahead. So, you know, find me a team that doesn't switch off for a minute at that, under those set of circumstances. Just before half time as well. Yeah. And then half time came out and they decided to put another four more tries and just looked amazing doing so. What's amazing is that it could have been an awful lot more than that. It's a long time since I've seen Benetton play rugby this loose. And what I mean by that is they were throwing offloads that probably weren't on. They were giving mad, mad loopy passes. Because why wouldn't you if you know you're up against the team who are going to stare at the ball as it gets knocked on the ground in front of them and fail to pick it up? The Dragons just weren't even able to jump on transition ball. They weren't able to capitalize on any of the mistakes that Benetton were making. So they just played Globetrotter style and had the crack. And that was all summed up in Benetton's eighth try. Off a line-out move, their number five runs through a gap and barges over three players. He should have made five yards not getting over the try line. It was crazy. It was just inside the 22. And don't get me wrong, it was a really classy line-out move, creating that pocket of space, drawing the Dragons defenders away. It wasn't a try from 15 metres out. It was not a try from 15 metres because real rugby players will tackle him and put him on the deck. But the Dragons just were so disinterested in this game. Like, the only saving grace was that their scrum was less terrible than the rest of their play. They got their own ball back, but it really wasn't a platform for them because nothing else good happened outside it. You're back to the type of form that saw Bernard Jackman lose his job in this game. It's simply not good enough. It really isn't. And you're looking at players like Hibbert to lead more, and he was anonymous. Apart from talking to the referee all of the time, because the Dragons are getting pushed back from a discipline perspective, as well as physically. Bad day at the office. It really was. And look, if Benetton had decided to play with the control they've been showing all season, this would have been easily 80 points plus, in my opinion. By whatever they wanted. And we'll move on to Saturday evening's games, and both of Benetton's Conference B rivals were in action. Edinburgh hosted Cardiff, and surprisingly lost 17 points to 19. We've been kind of waiting for this Cardiff performance all year, where they would just show enough determination and enough competence to win one of these tight games great result for them and Edinburgh can justifiably feel a bit burgled well they robbed themselves as much as anything else to be perfectly honest they had so much possession in the card of 22 that they just didn't turn into points that's fair I think they did really have a good opening though scoring two tries with Nathan Fells who was playing at scrum half at the heart of both of them, scored the first one after running a great support line and set up the second. Can we all just give a shout out to Cherry, the Edinburgh hooker, 
for a great break and sidestepping a fullback. Oh, the step was so good. (laughs) And I think he knew he was never going to get around him, but he at least put himself in the position for the offload. He made the Cardiff defender sit on his heels, which is all fouls needed to score a try. It was. The thing is, though, after racing into that early lead, and they really did race through those points, Cardiff started to come back into this game, and it felt to me watching it like they were just one pass away from something big coming off. Or one good decision. Just something, like they've been all season, just not working. But the thing is, Edinburgh still controlled huge portions of this game. In particular, the 10 minutes before and after halftime, those kind of really important minutes for championship winning sides, they seemed to be able to grind that down and wrestle back control of the fixture. But it kind of went downhill for them from there. And on 53 minutes, they scored a penalty after being camped on the Cardiff line for easily 5-10 minutes. For me, if they score a try there, that's game over. That's 21-0 up. That's the point that it starts to become about... When are Edinburgh going to get the bonus point? Not getting a penalty. And that was nearly, I think you're right, that was a moral victory for Cardiff in a sense. That was where they started to get back into the game. And they had the perfect response, scoring almost immediately. Yeah, Jason Harries had come on as a sub for them and just injected a little bit of pace and a lot of physicality into that back line. And what was nice, and you saw it earlier in the game as well, but Lilo and Halahalo had finally hit a bit of form. Because they've been really not hitting their straps for the last couple of weeks. They are two quality operators. And to see them starting to find their feet again, right in time for the end of the season as well. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous to conference rivals. But if a Cardiff fan listens to this, you will be happy campers going forward. Definitely. You know what though? You can't be two tries up and a penalty up. You can't be 17-0 up and then concede three unanswered tries and expect to win in this league. It's too competitive this year in particular around those kind of second to fourth bands in both conferences. And Edinburgh showed some real naivety in those scores. One straight off a line-out move where their whole backline had sat on their heels for no good reason and Cardiff were like, thank you very much, we'll take an easy try. There was so much space outside them. It was like you've said, week in, week out, catch, draw the man and pass. And Cardiff just able to find space outside. It was a hugely important win, I think mentally for Cardiff, because they've been pretty brittle so far this year, to be completely honest. And this showed a huge amount of just determination and, and mental fortitude. And to hold out in the last 10 minutes when Edinburgh were coming back into the game and could have got a score. But do you know what stopped it? The Cardiff back row. Oh, their what work, a game. Their breakdown work was extraordinary. It's always really good. The thing is, it was consistently good for the 80 minutes. They were always able to stop Edinburgh attacks. And turn over possession and win penalties and clear their lines. And when they did clear their lines, they were competitive in the line-out, at least making Edinburgh take some messy ball and holding on to all of their own throws as well. Edinburgh started well, but just faded really badly and should, from where they were on 50 minutes, have closed this game out. The thing is, Edinburgh have been living off having a really strong physical pack beat teams, but with so many players out with injury and away to the Six Nations... They didn't have that physical dominance that they're used to up front. They just couldn't beat Cardiff up the way they've beaten up teams this year. And with Nick Williams coming against you, you're going to take heavy damage as well. Well, there was just enough disruption that Cardiff were able to counter-attack and, you know, throw some good counter-punches. And that was the game. Well, also in Conference B, Ulster hosted Zebra and they had a good outing, winning 54 points to 7. I've never seen a game with that scoreline lack so much energy. There was flashes of good rugby and maybe poor it's that we don't know that Ulster team well enough, Ulster fans. 
get in touch. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But for me, even something as simple as picking Nelson at 10 seemed like a really conservative pick over Johnny McPhillips, who was running such a dangerous backline for Ulster last season. Yeah, that shocked us both. Like, with Lowry and Burns both not playing, to me, McPhillips is the easy choice there, especially after last year's form. He mustn't be impressing Dan McFarland in training because I thought he had talent in spades. Well, bringing his form from the under-20s, where I would have seen him first, he looks like a great fit for that Ulster backline. Maybe we'll see him towards the back end of the season, but not really promising if he's not getting game time right now. But in all fairness, Ulster didn't need a top-quality 10 because they had a top-quality mall. Herring with a hat-trick off the back of really good mall work. They were just able to run through that Zebra line at will. All of the technical faults that we saw in that Zebra line out last week were here again. Ulster were able to find way too much space. They were able to generate way too much power. The whole front row was impressive. Marty Moore and Eric O'Sullivan were absolutely milling guys on the other side. O'Sullivan's there like, new contract? Watch me play. Yeah, definitely celebrated the new contract. <laughs> he is a huge talent. And himself, Herring and Moore look like a top quality front row unit to build on for the future. Definitely. And then you look at the likes of Alan O'Connor and Ian Henderson in the second row. Could see a... Jordy Murphy in the back row. That's a very, very competitive pack at any level. Yeah, just needs to build a bit more depth. And that's something Ulster are clearly working on with some of their selections this year. Speaking of work-ons, I thought Louis Ludic was a little bit unlucky to get a straight yellow card and a penalty try. It didn't look like a guaranteed seven to me. There were two players outside him. I think that's the key. And there was no real cover because your fullback was the one knocking the ball on. I mean... Maybe it's a bit of sympathy having played in that position, but the hand went out to try and flick it up. I'm like, okay, he's going to get carded. But a penalty try seemed like doubling down on it when there were definitely covered defenders who were sprinting for the corner. Look, it didn't matter. And they're the only points Zebra scored. They couldn't even get themselves over the try line. Well, they just didn't seem to be able to create anything. And it's a bit of a, when are we going to talk about the elephant in the room of Carlo Canna? who is so out of form at the moment that he can't get onto the Italian bench. Ian McKinley, who missed the last minute kick to get them a bonus point, preferred ahead of him. At least McKinley can run a back line. Yeah, it looks like Canna just has the reverse Midas touch at the moment. Like, everything he touches goes to hell. And the thing is, he clearly knows he's not playing well, and he's forcing it more and more and more. I honestly do think a week or two not playing might just do him the world of good. Get the pressure off him, have a sit down, talk to him, get his head in the right place and then let him go because he is talented. He's just, something's really missing at the moment. The challenge is if Zebra do that, who do they bring in? They don't have another ready-made fly half. It's reminiscent of when Keatley had that terrible season at Munster when we had no other options at 10 and he just had to play every week and his form just got worse and worse and worse. Canna is his own worst enemy right now but he's bringing that whole team down with him. And it made this an easy game for Ulster. Looking at the Zebra attack shape at times, there was none. It was just a line of players strung out. Where if you look at Cheetahs last week, it's just layers and layers of people just running through and creating lines. Yeah, I mean, equally, you look at the approach to use of the bench from Ulster. They were bringing players off at 50 minutes. This game was won long, long before it was finished. And Ulster never looked like they were going to lose this match. And they never looked like they had to play incredibly well either. They just did enough. And just doing enough and scoring 54 points is a weird sentence to say. Yeah, it's like they didn't win without getting out of second gear. They didn't win without getting out of reverse. 
Now, there was a couple of individual performances. I thought Robert Balakun again, showed a bit of the sharpness that they were missing against the Ospreys last week. Rob Little on the other wing was decent. And when Hume came on, a couple of really nice touches of the ball. Yeah, I was impressed with McCluskey. I think he's paired back what he's doing. He's running hard, smart lines, and he's really picking when to offload. Darren Cave, I'm going to say it, had a decent game as well. I was amazed to hear that Darren Cave has 222 caps for Ulster. That is an astonishing number to have racked up. Like, talk about an experienced head. You don't get a whole lot more experience than that. When he's on form and he has the space he had on Saturday, he does look like an impressive player. He's just never going to get that international level. And that's why he's never been able to make that step up properly. Well, it was a good way to finish off Saturday's games. But we moved on to the last Pro 14 fixture of the weekend on Sunday. Scarlet's really needing a win and the Cheetahs looking to bounce back as well. Cheetahs didn't bounce as high as I hoped they might. (laughs) They lost here 43 points to 21 in which was literally a shootout between two teams. Who could score more tries? And well, it was Scarlet's who really did look like at times their old selves. Genuinely felt like a time machine back to last year. Their breakdown was functioning. Their backs were running really interesting and attractive lines. Johnny McNichol was just class as well. Apart from the uh, stupid moment. Slapping a ball out of scrum house hands will always get you a yellow card. It doesn't matter how good you're playing outside that. The ref won't go, ah, you're playing well. I let you off. No, 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 no. It's a yellow, Johnny. Don't do it again. Maybe the ref was just trying to even the game up. Because at that stage, the Cheetahs had just conceded four tries in 20 minutes. They just couldn't seem to stop Scarlet's from finding space at will. But it was stupid stuff as well. Not working hard enough on the on the try line like the Dragons game the day before. Pillar defenders buying dummies as of just killing people. That's Defence 101. And Cheetahs are the better South African team, but they were taking discipline lessons of Kings during this game as well. It was shocking. They were all over the place. Although, to be honest, the worst piece of indiscipline that I saw this weekend was actually from a Scarlet's player who completely got away with it. Right after the Cheetahs went over for a try, Jake Ball flew in out of absolutely nowhere and put in a completely unnecessary shoulder charge on the Cheetahs player who was prone on the ground. Like, that kind of stuff is unacceptable. He hit him in the back of the head. That was in the back. Like, the Cheetahs player was clearly holding his head, looking at Lacey going, can you just please check that hit? Like, genuinely asking to check foul play. And it's in the act of scoring. So Lacey is more than within his rights to refer that. I think that Jake Ball could be looking at a lengthy ban for that. And he deserves it because that's just a cheap trick. You should be right. But how many of those hits are we seeing across the game just not being checked? That one was one of the more blatant ones. I'll I'll grant you that. But they're just not dealt with. And it's that kind of wind-up merchantry that is creeping into the game, which at times we love. When it could have clearly injured a player, it needs to be stamped out. I think there's a difference between a little bit of trickery and skullduggery in the field of play and hitting a prone player. It's, to me, equivalent to taking a player out in the air. They can't defend themselves and it's just not good enough. But the Cheetahs really didn't let it stop them. Their second try was of some mad Scolacci over-the-heel, back-heel kick by their number eight. It, it was reminiscent of that one Simon Zebo did against Wales. Like, this little chip ahead. Like, Zebo dinged the ball to himself. This was a chip over his own head to his player, to the Alaconi, <laughs> to Maxwani, who was like five yards away. It was ridiculous. And that brought it to 28-14 at halftime. Cheetahs will have been a lot happier given the performance in the first half. But they just couldn't really lift their game in the second. And Scarrets were just able to up the tempo in the second half, scoring two more tries and just putting this game to bed. 
It felt a lot like the Benetton Dragons game. The difference is that the cheetahs are a lot better than the dragons. And were able to actually score and at times defend. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of one-sided fixtures in this weekend's rugby. And I think this was pretty one-sided. It was just less dramatically so than other games. Which was really annoying because cheetahs aren't missing players. This is their full-strength squad. It shouldn't have been as sloppy. Their discipline shouldn't have been as poor. They have the combinations week in, week out that this should have been a much smoother performance and it really wasn't. It should have been and what I think is interesting is looking at the Cheetahs' form at this point of the season relative to last year. Last year they were hoovering up points at this time of year and I don't know whether it's that the other teams are more aware of them, they're better able to play against that type of broken field rugby but they're not finding points the way that they did last season. I think teams know if you can shut down broken field play and not give them too much scrappy ball to work off, they will find it harder. They're enjoyable to watch. Their attacking lines are great, but they primarily score off broken field running. And the Scarlets were able to neutralise a lot of that by being a lot more effective at the breakdown than we've seen them in previous weeks. They're hanging onto the ball when they have it, and they're better able to get the ball back as well, even though they were caught defending very narrow at times. And for me, their centres weren't showing enough work rate. And for the second week in a row, Fanatia has been a passenger. Scarlett's going forward, can't be playing him at 13 if he's going to keep playing like that. It's a strange one. He had a really good start to the season coming over from the Ospreys, but his form has dipped off dramatically in the last couple of weeks. And they need to see better from him if they're going to make a serious tilt at the playoffs this year. And if you ignore Leinster, who are, you know, miles ahead on top, from second to fifth, there's only five points separating them. Bennington are in second place on 46 points. Ulster are third on 44 points and Edinburgh on fourth on 42. And the Scarlets are just one point behind them again on 41. I'm going to stop giving the Dragons and the Kings their place. Yeah, they're just, they're propping up the league. Joint bottom on 19 points with a collective six wins out of 32 games. Conference A, on the other hand, is definitely a two-horse race at the top with Munster and Glasgow on 57 and 56 points. But it's still pretty competitive after that. Cardiff and Connacht both on 42 points. Cardiff are on third due to points difference. Ospreys three points behind in fifth. And the Cheat is hot on their tails, just another three points behind them. Really, all six teams still live in playoff contention. Like, as a Connacht fan, this is too tight for comfort. For people wanting to look at the league and get excited, this is brilliant. It is. Zebra, by the way, seventh and with 18 points accumulated at this stage of the season, the worst team in the league. And from the worst team in the league to this week's second row top performer. And you've picked our top performer. I have. And we spoke about him earlier. But Nathan Fells, the scrum half for Edinburgh for me, had an unbelievable performance. I think he evidenced the type of work rate, ambition and smart running lines that if half of the rest of his teammates had evidenced, we would have been talking about an Edinburgh win, not a Cardiff win. Just unlucky that the rest of his team weren't on the same wavelength. It's so rare you literally see a player in professional rugby looking at times like, come on, just help me here. And you could actually see it in his face at times, especially when he was taken off. He had the Guillaume Garado expression of, I can't believe you're making me do this on my own. But look, rare that we give it to somebody on a losing team, but definitely such a strong performance from somebody who did absolutely everything in his power to win the game for Edinburgh. And Pork, you've picked our clown of the round, although you had a few options again this week. I had two to choose from. My first option was from the Leinster Kings match. The Kings scrum half Pretorius, not realising the ball was out of a ruck. The ref saying it two or three times, 
then as Leinster were diving on the loose ball, he was literally looking at the ref, then looking at the stars and the moon to figure out what was going on. <laughs> Not exactly up to the pace of the game then. No, but for me, it has to go to the communication in the Benetton Dragons match. At one point, Benetton had scored a try and the ref had to go up to TMO, but his radio had clearly stopped working. So out comes the trusty iPhone to ring up to the box. This was really funny. They looked like they had got the guy from Carphone Warehouse to bring him the phone as well. Maybe it was a fifth or sixth or seventh official. I have not laughed in years like I did watching a guy who looked like he was taking a phone call from like his buddy in the middle of the game. What really impressed me though is they made sure to cover the make of the phone. I mean, it was obviously an iPhone, you could tell, but yes, no visible logos. Well done, Pro 14. So that's TMO Tech as our second row crown the round, and the second row top performer goes to Nathan Fowles. We move on to preview next week's fixtures in the Pro 14. No Six Nations next week, but we are still here, as is your domestic competition. And our focus, as always, will be fixed on these matches so first up on friday night just the one game leinster play host to the cheetahs second south african team in a row and the dublin team will be looking for a similar outcome yeah and cheetahs will need to put in a much better performance to have any chance of any outcome in this game the sports ground on saturday then sees what could be a season defining game for connacht they have the ospreys visiting and for me in all the matches it's the one with most on the line it's an in-conference game with ospreys traveling to the sports ground i think benetton might disagree with you they play host to edinburgh in basically a shootout for a home quarter final in conference b that's a huge game as well i, I had personal bias at stake there like, come on. <laughs> that's fine both of those games kicking off at kind of the same time like two big games on saturday for the league for me they shouldn't be going up against each other now granted this was fixed before anyone knew where these teams would be later in the day scarlet's host monster at relatively the same time zebra hosts glasgow yeah i think glasgow are likely to continue their form and zebra are going to have another uncomfortable weekend scarlet's monster is a tough game scarlet's nowhere near the team they were last year and missing a lot of players still but if they can keep this performance level up Munster will have a job on their hands they will looking for two away wins two weeks in a row is a big ask for that Munster team especially in Wales one game on Saturday evening Cardiff play host to the Southern Kings and will hopefully have a more comfortable time of it than they did this week I just think the Cardiff pack will have too much for the Kings but that being said if Cardiff are loose in any way shape or form Kings are the team that can punish them Well, Cardiff need a win here to keep the pressure on Connacht and the Ospreys, so big game there. On Sunday, there's a sole match, and Dragons host Ulster. If Ulster can keep the steady performance going that they had this week, this should be a relatively easy win. Dragons can't be any worse. I mean, if Ulster can find 15 human beings to put jerseys on, it should be a relatively easy win, unless the Dragons literally completely turn their fortunes around. They need the new broom to come in and start afresh. If anything resembling the Dragons' performance this week makes it anywhere near a pitch next week, Ulster can moonwalk their way to a bonus point win. And on that bombshell, that's us for this week. We will be back next week for round 17 and we will talk all those fixtures and any news that comes up as well at the same time. We do love hearing from you, so get in touch on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. You know where we are by now. And if you're not already... We'd love if you could subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and leave us a rating. We really do appreciate it, and it helps other people find the podcast. And tell other people about us, because word of mouth is the best way to grow this podcast. So until next week, thanks very much for listening, and good luck and goodbye. Take care, everyone.